Welcome Pathfinders to the Find the Path podcast, actual play of the Mummy's Mask Adventure Path. Now with more content warnings about creepy crawly buggies. Yep. Creepy crawlers. Oh god. Yep. That was one of the coolest toys when I was a kid, but you were gonna <laughs> burn yourself. Yep. I was gonna say, there, there were a bunch of toys like that back in the 90s where you got to like make stuff. You got to melt metal for one of them. Yeah, you would never find them in your toy stores anymore. Like, you yeah. would never find Easy Bake Ovens or any of that kind of stuff. And if you go further back, they used to give you radioactive materials. Yeah. Yep. Sure. Yeah. To be fair, I think Easy Bake Ovens attempt to bake things using, like, a freaking light, light bulb. bulb. It's a light yeah. bulb, yeah. <laughs> I, I burned three of my fingers on an Easy Bake Oven because I didn't realize that the thing you pull it out of didn't have a bottom on it. And I accidentally, like, put my fingers on the bottom and so my fingers were wrapped up in aloe vera for like three days. I think there's a good reason why they no longer make these toys. Oh, probably, well, they, they yeah, They still no. make easy-bake ovens, but now they're much safer. <laughs> That's Speaking true. of danger, when last we had left our heroes <laughs> diving <laughs> down into the, uh, the veritable depths of the monument vault, our party had uh, probably forgotten by most of our party members, as well as maybe the audience. You fought a golem. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Oh, yeah. That was like, it was like that such was a short fight. That was less than a full round. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a five second fight. It's sad because he's kind of a cool golem, but also he's a couple challenge ratings below you guys. So that's fair. It also helps that I have opportunists. So I basically get an extra hit in. I was going to say that <laughs> you're, you're at the level now where a rogue in sneak attack with opportunists is just damage, like so yep. much damage. Mm -hmm. yep. That's true. But yeah, you had uh, you delved down into, uh, you'd entered into, what was that chamber? Hold on. The room? inactive construct storage chamber. With one active construct. Yeah, the Henshepsu, the only active construct in said chamber. You'd also explored the sculpting chamber, which had a cool uh, Shori petrification platform. You had explored the, um, we'll go into details on what exactly was in there, but the uh, what they refer to here as the Hall of Crawling Thoughts. Oh. Uh, which was the oh. uh, the bizarre chamber full of canopic jars, though technically not because they actually don't have the uh, the animal heads and everything else on them. So just, just ceramic jars. jars. Just ceramic jars. I don't know. I'm thinking that was the nice room because the next room was way worse. I don't think either of these rooms are nice. I think they're both terrible. No one decided to eat one of these things, which just disappoints me. I'm, I'm concerned about why that disappoints you. I would have eaten it if I could have identified it. You had then uh, explored a small... Like two small alcoves, which seemed to be kind of like storage supplies, basically. Additional jars, some alchemical reagents that had aged 6,000 years and were no longer viable. Apparently the Gubagon jar, which uh, I guess is eternal, judging by the, <laughs> the big thing of universal solvent that you found, as well as the engine of timelessness, which it makes sense that it would also be timeless. I am not surprised by that because I have found like a Gubagon bottle that's like 20 years old and it's still fine. Yep. Something every household should have. It really, yes. honestly, it's it's magic stuff. It comes in <laughs> handy more often than you would think. And Galarian, literally. This episode brought to you by Goobygon. Goobygon. <laughs> Do you have problems with sticky gorillas? Goobygon. Fair. <laughs> the uh, anti-gorilla glue. Yeah, anti-gorilla <laughs> glue. I love it. You then entered into uh, a chamber, which I affectionately refer to as F7. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to tell us what the name of this one is? Otherwise known as the Hall of Crawling Fears. See, this so feels like the you... bad hall. I think they're both bad. 
We've been told repeatedly that this place is nothing but traps. Is but bad. nothing bad happened in the last one. This one definitely This bad. one definitely bad we things happened. We don't really know if nothing bad happened in the last room. You'd entered into the Hall of Crawling Fears, at which point you'd gotten this, this unsteady, uncomfortable sensation. The lights, literally the magical lights of your illumination began to dim under the growing darkness of this place. Yep, didn't like that. As like one jar after the next started shattering until it was this rapid fire shattering sound. And then I think uh, I think we left off as these tiny little scabbering legs and antennae started sliding under the door, filling into the room, out of the room that they're in. Gross. And uh, I suppose we should go ahead and just kick this off with a little bit of combat. Oh no. Yeah, I mean, that seems appropriate for yeah, the bugs yeah. coming out of the hall or out of the Sugar door. Sugar treat and kill it with fire. Yep. I have fire. Turns out they're actually friendly bugs. Hello. You, you tipped your hand when you said the room of fears. They're not friendly. Yeah, crawling fears. fears. They're, they're literally so let's go crawling ahead and get an fears. initiative from the party. Hollis Starkweather. Hmm. Hollis rolls a 17 for a 24 initiative. Sudikantar. Uh, City rolls a 6 for a 9. Masika of the Beckon. Uh, Mystica rolls a 14 for 17. Citra Nahamra. Citra rolled a 17 for a 23. Round one of combat. Hello, Starkweather. You have first initiative. Uh, what are we doing here, y'all? Um, destroying a bunch of bugs. Okay. Well, I'm going to open the door and fireball. That seems like an appropriate plan. Uh, I open half the door, and then I'm going to standard action fireball once I can, I guess, find an appropriate place to place that fireball. As you shove open the door. You plant your hand on this, you shove. Probably rather difficult. I don't think Hollis is particularly strong. So it's uh, no, kind of shove your shoulder into it. I'm averagely strong. The door slides open. As it does so, the door disappears. Oh, okay. Lost oh. as your arm as you push into this utter impenetrable darkness beyond. Whoa! Huh. That's a magical darkness, y'all. Echoing out of this chamber is this non-stop chittering sound of thousands of insects rolling out towards you. Uh, you may make a spellcraft if you so wish. I oh, will. Gosh, golly. Miss Ma. Uh, I rolled 12 for a 36. Uh, you believe this is an area of deeper darkness. Oh, oh wow, extra buddies. dark. All right. Uh, well, that's a whole thing. Good thing this is an area effect and I don't really got to aim. And I tossed my little fireball bead just far enough that it won't hit me. So, uh, whatever forward. Basically, four squares forward? Yep. Okay. Light up that room. Well, it's magical. It's deeper darkness, so it may not, but. Well, no, it won't, won't but, but I meant light as in fire up that room. Yeah. All right. You may or may not have hit something. Cool. Uh, there's a deafening explosion as it swirls into the room. Go ahead and roll me your damage, and what is the reflex safety see on that? Um, da 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 da. 20. Okay. So, again, Hollis chants and tones, gesture. Her hand plunges into the darkness. There is no bead. There is no flash of light. There's just this blast of heat that radiates out from the door and the sound of an echoing explosion that for a moment covers up the sound of the chittering swarms. All right. Um, that's going to be 33 fire damage. And then Hollis gets 10 temporary hit points from my uh, fun little feet that I always forget about. Creative destruction. From Hollis, we go to Citra Nahamra. 
can't attack the darkness, can I? <laughs> I attack the darkness. You pull out a scroll and magic missile the darkness. It's going to say oh you, you just spelling strike the darkness. Just to <laughs> well, that's to what I was thinking. I have dispelling attack. <laughs> I'm afraid the darkness does not have a discernible anatomy. <laughs> Dang. It was worth a try. Faint the darkness, uh, Citra. Faint the darkness and stab. I don't have faint. <laughs> Look over there. Oh, lordy. I would not go in the creepy room. Oh, I don't intend to go in don't. the creepy room. Yeah, I'm, um, I have a bad feeling that darkness is going to spill out, but could be wrong. Well, something's spilling out. Well, I'm assuming there's still a chittering mass of something or another coming out of there. You know, we should all just fly above these things. I had that thought. They'll just stack on each other like the zombies in World War Z. I... Is that big sooty bread pit? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the himbo. Okay, so Citra is going to uh, use the last opal upon her Helm of Brilliance, and I'm going to cast Daylight oh, into the nice. darkness. Yeah. Okay. Daylight is cast <laughs> on an object. Pull out a copper piece. Or the door. There's a door. <laughs> I mean, I would argue that you're technically pulling the opal off yeah, of your Yeah, can't helmet. you just oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so that's I'm just going to cast it upon the opal. That's what and I was then, thinking. Like, like, like flick it like it's a mar- like a marble into the room. <laughs> yeah, I'm like Gandalf it, you know, when he goes against the Nazgul. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, so it's a 60-foot radius illumination. And now we know why they gave us that helm. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant uh, use of the Helm of Brilliance. Right. <laughs> Good solution. Yeah. And counters, or dispels in this case, a darkness spell of equal or lower level, such as darkness. <laughs> nice. So, and that bounces into the center there, which means... The whole room is... The whole room. Ah! Oh, there's so many. As it rolls into the room, you can see these <laughs> oh four God. masses of insects crawling over one mm. another in this horrific swarm of creatures. Hollis oh, looks Skittering no, their no, way no. forward. Oh no, 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 no. Their furry antennae tasting the air around them. Many of them bob up into the airs as they swim through the air like water. Ew. That's weird. Well, there goes my flying No one plan. is safe. Do they look identical to the other ones? Uh, yeah, they do look to be identical to the other ones, except for vast in number. Citra uh, takes w- whatever movement I have left. If I if, uh, No, I pull my scarf up over my mouth. <laughs> I saw that, Yule. <laughs> Protect the mouth. <laughs> Very well. <laughs> you have a five-foot step remaining if you'd like to take it as well. I shall step in front of Masika. So no, no, don't... no, please no? don't. Okay, no. then I I shall. <laughs> you start to, and Masika just you know, yeah. slams an arm in <laughs> your chest. I have burning hands or something. This looks okay. like a job for magic. <laughs> it does look like a job for magic. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to five foot step forward diagonal from Masika so that um, she can still do whatever magic y thing she's going to do, but I can hop in and stab things if I need to. <laughs> Very well. That brings us to the swarms. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, no. They do what they do best, which yes. is swarm. <laughs> they come rolling out of the uh, the now brilliant light in the room beyond. Oh, so creepy. Do we get attacks of opportunity? <laughs> They're swarms. They're swarms. Are they big oh. enough for us to punch? They are diminutive sized swarms, which means Crud. that they are not subject to physical attacks. Mm. This is That's a about all magic. I'm going to be able to make right now. First one swarms out over the <laughs> crew. The second one swarms out over the crew. They're fast. The other ones move forward, closing in on the party. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just amused by the fact that somehow these swarms, I guess every individual bug in the swarm has dodge. 
Oh my god. Which just seems a little silly. Why? As they come swarming forward, they do bite, claw, crawl up over you. In particular fashion, uh, much as I think Citra anticipated trying their best to get to your face, faces and mouths mm. as they begin to scabber their legs across you. Does my mask make me immune to their mouth attacks? It does not. However, <laughs> while they do swarm over Hollis, they do nothing to Sudi. They don't even so much as climb on him. They want smart people. No, they don't. <laughs> oh, he's got a mask. Oh, yep. hawk attack. Mask that makes more sense. Yay. That makes sense. Possible. Finally, the, wearing the mask gets me something in this place. <laughs> well, it would have okay. gotten you something previously. Hey. Remember, the golems didn't attack you either. Oh, I mean, right. in this place, sure, but. And so. I'm just imagining that scene in Batman Begins when like all the bats are swarming around him and it's like the Sooty version of that. Yep. Except for disgusting, bats are at least adorable. Yep, it's disgusting. <laughs> uh, so for starters, Hollis, Masika, and Citra, each of you take seven points of damage as they crawl all over you. I will need that followed by a fortitude save. Mm. Okay, I roll a 13 for a 20, unless it's a death effect. It's not a death effect. Yeah, Masika rolls a 19, which gets her a 27. Okay. Uh, Citra rolled a 9 for a 21. Okay. And then I will need that followed by a fortitude save. Two fortitude saves. Oh, that was a good roll. Um, uh, 17 for a 24. Uh, Masika gets a 13 for a 21. I rolled another 9 for a 21. Okay. Go team. Yeah, you think you're good. Uh, it is horrific as they crawl all over you, biting and chomping at you. Uh, each of you do feel this odd as their pincers bite onto you. You feel this spreading numbness through everywhere that they touch. Uh, these ones Although are mean. right now you're fighting them off. Uh, the second wave of them also will just go ahead and double move and swarm over you as well. Uh -huh. Hey, let's uh, move out of this and then Masika and I can continue. And then fireball the bejesus out of this. Yeah. Everybody fireball. <laughs> Fireball, no, lightning bolt, whatever you got. <laughs> yeah. Hollis, Masika, Citra, you each take 12 points of damage. I will need the fortitude save from all of you. I'm out, guys. Uh-oh. Probably me too. Uh-oh. All right. I'm, I mean, I have the worst save, so let's see. I roll a nine for a number that equals 16. Okay. I roll a nine for a 17. Okay. Roll a nat one for a 13. Oh. Okay. Well, Sudi, we believe in you. Um. Um. So, Hollis, you take two points of dexterity damage. Okay. Masika and Citra, you both take three points of dexterity damage as their poison starts to set in. I will need a second fortitude save from the three of you. No! But at least it's not a Sudi has to look save. on helplessly. I hate this. All right, I roll an 11 for an 18. We're going to find exactly what that DC uh, here is. Perfect 20 for a 28. I rolled an 11 for a 23. Nope, you all succeed. Okay, so 18's the DC, everybody. <laughs> so you manage, each of you are beginning to feel this poison running through you, although you do manage to clamp your hands or turn your face away or shake your head violently to keep them from crawling into your mouth as you struggle against them. They continue to swarm, taking us from the swarms to Masika of the Beckon. The only area effect I have is a cone of cold, and I'm not going to be able to blast it off if we're without hitting anyone. Oh, at this uh, point. what if you run back down the hallway and then ready? I was thinking of doing something similar if you want to back to back yeah. cone of cold them. 
Because <laughs> that's that's I'm literally like I think I think retreating is literally the only option we have. Yeah, we're yeah, gonna fight I them down the hall. Do it's gonna be weird. Or I go in the room. Or you can run into the room. I don't know. I think you're more likely to hit them if we go down the hall, though. Mm -hmm. The thing is, we're eventually gonna run. I don't know. I don't like. We're eventually gonna run out of. I mean, we'll run out of room either <laughs> yeah. way. But I feel like there's more room down the hall than there is in the room. But maybe I'm not remembering right. I don't I know. I mean, man. they might chase us. Well, until we get to that pass wall, I guess. Yeah, I mean, which is maybe another reason why that's there. So you yeah, can't so that you can't actually, escape from yeah. this. Yeah. Otherwise, we just kite them. It's just Dealer's one giant. Choice. It's just one giant trap. <laughs> yeah. It's feeling that way. This book. This book just feels like one no, giant. It, it feels trap. like this entire t this entire like little area was one big trap. I think. I think you're right. I'd say if you want to ready, we'll get out of your way. Yeah, just pick which direction you want to go, and we'll move slash get in the right situation. If yeah. you run into the room, the ones around the doorway will have cover. Yeah. So. Mm. I guess Masika will move. Oh, sorry, uh, Masika, since you're the first one that's had a turn since uh, being able to clearly see these things, you may make an alt nature if you so wish. Roll a four for a 28. With the way the mo they move, with the way they act, you have a theory on what these could be. They don't precisely look like what you're expecting. You think that this may be something akin to a creature usually referred to as a hell wasp. Although it really only seems to be in that their general, well, the poison you seem to be under the effect of, their swarming nature, the odd intelligence that they seem to be displaying, looks to be something akin to basically extra planar swarms. Although in this case, this seems to be a planar variant of it. Something almost more akin to an undead version of an extraplanar swarm. Wait, these are undead? No, they just seem to be oh. somehow fueled by the negative energy of this place, the necromatic energies, despite the fact that they're still vermin. You may ask one question pertaining towards this. Do they have any weaknesses? Hmm. Specifically, no. Non-specifically. You are aware that they are a swarm of diminutive sized creatures, which means that they would take 50% more damage from area effects. All right, so Masika will move, I guess, back to the hallway 10 feet past Sudi so she can hit everything with the cone of cold and also gives the party enough room to move past her to not be in the area effect. Okay. And I guess I'll, can I ready to just cast it as soon as everybody's clear? Yep, if that's what you want to be the uh, the trigger for. It. Yes, once my allies will not be hit by the spell, I will cast cone of cold. All right. All right, I need everybody out of the way, out of the way. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Move shot, move shot. Okay. Would Narmer's spit affect these? Uh, no. no, because it is an attack uh, that targets a single attack yeah. creature. So you are aware that as a swarm, uh, mm -hmm. they are. Hold on. A swarm is immune to any effect that targets a specific number of creatures, including a single target spell, such as Disintegrate, with the exception of mind-affecting effects, charms, compulsions, morale, phantasms, and patterns, if the swarm has an intelligence score uh, and a hive mind. And also that a swarm takes half again as much damage, 50% from spells or effects that affect an area, such as splash weapons or mini evocation spells. Uh, also, if it's pertinent, you are aware that they are made up of uh, diminutive or fine, since you did ask about weaknesses. Creatures, which means that they are susceptible to high winds, such as from the gust of wind spell. <laughs> Weird. So basically, you could just, you know, wind tunnel, blow them down the tunnel, things like that. Although not really from this position. But Sudikantar, you right, do find um, yourself in this weird effect where they do not come within like six inches of you. 
There's like a ring around you that they just kind of part around you like the Red Sea as they circle around to attack your allies. Sudi probably can't even like hear himself think over the din these things are probably creating. Nope. Sudi's arch nemeses are in fact swarms because I have literally nothing I can do short of throwing an alchemist fire at them, which seems like a waste. I will get behind Masika. All right. So Sudi moves down the hall behind Masika and goes, I hope you have something to do with them. They're not hurting me, but they look like they're hurting you. Those look, that's a lot of bug bites. There's some sort of undead, maybe hell wasp, but not ex I don't, extra planar. I don't know. Huh. Yep. Oh, um, are they smoking? Like the, the last ones, the one that um, Hollis had poured out was like smoking? Are There's they a smoking? thin film of smoke that surrounds them. That is weird. Yep, we got this. These are like um, the bad eggs. Okay. <laughs> the evil Call evil us crew. the exterminators. And then Darmer pulls out a <laughs> pair of sunglasses and puts them on. Nice. <laughs> Just to immediately take them off again. Anyway. Okay. Um, all right. If this doesn't destroy them all, then I, I have plans. Okay. <laughs> all right. It's going to be a weird one, y'all. All right. So Sudi's got a plan. Hollis Starkweather. Hollis is going to copy Masika's plan, head on down the hallway and prepare a cone of cold. I uh, want citrus out of the way. <laughs> Double cold. If they're planar, can I roll something about them? Uh, again, she could tell that while they do seem to behave like hell wasps, that they are not extra planar. Mm. Unlike hell wasps. That they, instead of being fueled by planar uh, energy, they seem to be fueled by necromatic energy. You may make an knowledge nature if you so wish. Maybe we can get more. Okay. But kind of wish that wasn't a 19 on a knowledge check, but maybe that's a good thing. Uh, 35? With a 35, you are aware of the same weaknesses and such that uh, Masika was. You may also ask an additional question. Let's know its attacks. Okay. You're aware that they have three special attacks. Oh. oh uh, first off, their bite is poisonous. Oh, well, that It causes sense. dexterity damage. Okay. And uh, ooh, that does remind me, I did need uh, Masika to make me a fortitude save on her turn. 11 for 19. Okay, I also need Hollis to make me a fortune save. Mm. A four for a 11. Uh, Masika, you have taken three more points of dexterity damage. Hollis, you've taken four more points of dexterity damage as you stumble away uh, and you begin oh. to feel this coursing into your veins. Okay. So in answer to that previous statement, you are aware that they are poisonous. Their poison yeah. is a paralytic. It affects your dexterity until it eventually paralyzes you. Oh, well, that's... It is very difficult to resist. That makes sense. All right. In addition to that, uh, as a swarm, especially as a diminutive swarm, they do have the distraction special ability, which means that basically by biting you, swarming over you, et cetera, et cetera, they can cause nausea. Oh, wonderful. Um, as they attempt to climb into your mouth. Horrifying. Lovely. Lastly, and most horrifically. Oh, no. If these are akin to hell wasps, which as you begin to think of it and, you know, Masika's like, hell wasps? Kind of shrugs at you and you're like, hmm, that makes some sense. Uh, that their distant cousins are somehow related to that, although they don't look the same. It means that they can probably inhabit. Ah! This means that they could crawl in through the mouth of a helpless or dead creature. Helpless would include also paralyzed due to their dexterity yeah, damage. Yeah. Inhabiting a body. It would take about one minute for them to do so. Gross. It effectively transforms the uh, a corpse into a zombie under the control of the hell wasps, huh. or in this case, the swarm. If it is a actual person, that they basically affect them as per dominate monster. However, the swarm quickly consumes the victim, dealing mm. four, or 2d4 points of constitution damage per hour until the victim is completely consumed, at which point it turns okay. into a zombie. Oh, okay. 
Uh, as a side note, uh, anyone inhabited by the swarms are easy to spot, despite the fact that they're under a dominate person, due to the uh, insects crawling beneath their skin, huh. which can be clearly seen. Ew. No, thank you. Although a swarm can attempt a disguise check to conceal this. Ew. Ha. Ew. All right. uh, as a side note, both of you are aware that they, these things would possess an intelligence of six. So they're actually fairly intelligent for vermin. Yeah. Gross. Uh, I will also give this to you just because you did identify that. You are aware that remove disease or heal will force the swarm to abandon the host. Okay. Well, that's good to know in okay. case somebody gets super petrified or paralyzed. <laughs> that's what you're up against. All right. Yep. Yeah, that they're going to paralyze you and crawl on your body. And they're, there's something different about them from the others, but I can't quite put my finger on it. So Hollis readies. Yep. We're going to cone of cold, cone of cold, back to back. Citra Nahamra. Uh, Citra would like to bolt it out of the swarm. Yeah. Right. And then fireball from behind the line. Are you going past your allies or are you going into the room? Uh, no, I'm going past my allies. I don't know what's left in this room. That's true. Okay. I only ask just because you're all clumping back up into swarm formation if you head back towards Masika and Hollis. Run far. I do have three fireballs left. Why not? Okay, so Citra would like to move 30 feet down the hallway behind Hollis. Very well. And then I shall... As you slide past Hollis, both uh, Hollis and Masika raise hands simultaneously (laughs) as two simultaneous cones of cold go off because their readied actions now trigger. First Masika's. 14d6 of cold. So much cold. I get to make so many reflex saves. Uh, what is the save DC for this? Save DC is 23. Mine is a 22. This is the moment where we all punish Rick for sicking four swarms on us. That's yeah, fine. Just going to throw this out here because uh, really it has no major bearing on what's going on right now. Despite the fact that they're diminutive size and therefore immune to weapon damage, they also possess damage reduction, which is curious. Why? I'm curious. Do they, in- do they impart that damage reduction to their host? Oh, oh Maybe. maybe. Otherwise, there's no point. It looks like they still, because apparently attacks against the host also deal half damage to the swarm. Mm. So then the damage reduction kicks in. Okay, that makes sense. I was just All right, so Masika does 46 points of cold damage with her cone of cold. Very well. You coat the entirety of the hallway ahead of you in ice, blasting over these creatures as Hollis's spell goes off simultaneously. Yep, I did 55 points of damage. Ooh, one of them natural ones and one of them natural 20s. All over the place. <laughs> Very well. The second blast also sears off down the hallway, coating everything there in about three inches worth of ice as it coats the walls, floor, ceiling, the door on the opposite side. Insects go falling and shattering like flash frozen. What am I thinking? Liquid nitrogen just <laughs> shattering across the floor. You think about half of them are dead. Okay. <laughs> and by that, I mean two of the swarms did die. The other two swarms are still coming at you. Uh, Citra. Uh, Citra. Citra would like to fireball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shuck it. Like to fireball. <laughs> Cold and Very then well. hot. There's then a deafening explosion as an orange bead goes flying across and then all the ice across the walls, floors, and ceiling immediately evaporates under the blast. <laughs> you can hear the groaning sound of the s- surrounding stone as it flash freezes and then superheats. Sorry, stone. Uh, it is a, a DC of 20, just so you know. Okay. The chittering sound of thousands of little legs. Again, they do look like silverfish, which if anyone hasn't ever looked those up, they're pretty terrifying. They're, they're awful looking. Um, so that would be uh, 32 points of fire damage. There is a blast of fire as it rolls over them. They continue to bear forward. I will go ahead and give it to Citra. Um, since you didn't see when the first ones were fireballed, that you can tell that the fire seems to have substantially less effect on them than the oh, cold. Oh, wonderful. Ah, nuts. Okay. That brings us to the swarms. They swarm. Dang it. Gross. 
So they go rushing their way forward, uh, swarming over Citra, Hollis, Masika, and around Sudi. I will need. Well, Can first off, I'll do damage. Order them off? Go. <laughs> Shoo. I haven't tried that. So to get some Pyrrhus again. I doubt it'll do anything, but you know. Well, that will be eleven points. That will be eleven points of damage to Citra, Hollis, and Masika. I will need. I believe all of you failed the previous fortitude save, correct? <laughs> yeah. So all of you are currently under the effects of the poison, which actually also reminds me, Citra, I need you to roll another fortitude save. Oh, that's a, that's an at twenty. There you go. Nice. So you resist it for a round, and then uh, all of them swarm back over you, which gets into the whole stacking poison rules. Great. So I will need all of you to go ahead and make me another uh, fortitude save against this poison. All right, I get a 14 for a 21. Okay. I roll a nine for a 17. Okay. I roll a 19 for a 31. So Masika has now been double poisoned. Oh, I will then need all of you to make me a fortitude save. 16 for a 23. Masika gets a 12 for a 20. Okay. Citra rolled an 8 for a 20. All right. None of them got in your mouth yet. Woohoo! Then the second swarm <laughs> attacks. Okay. Do I get a circumstance bonus for my scarf? No, because they're like they're not fine-sized creatures. They're diminutive, so they can just crawl their way in through your scarf. Gah. They're strong enough to like pull down said scarf because, again, they're they're basically mouse-sized. Ew. So all oh. of you also take an additional nine points of damage. I'll need another fortitude save. Okay, I'm rolling an 18 for a 25. I roll a two for a 10. Oh, geez. I rolled another nine for a 21. All right. Let's see how you're really starting to fill this. And I'll need another fortitude save from the party. Oh my God, why? Sandy For that. As they continue the to try to crawl in your mouth. I roll a 10 for a 17. All uh -oh. of the fortitude saves. I roll a 5 for a 13. Well, a 19 for a 31. I, hate I think fight. we might both be nauseated, which is going to make again, this fight hard. we hate swarms. That's fair. Hollis and Masika, as you continue to fight with them, Citra may be protected a little bit by your scarf. You continue to fight them off. However, like Hollis and Masika, you both feel them crawling, attempting to crawl down your mouth, attempting to crawl oh. up your nose as you fight with these things biting into them and trying to spit the chunks out to try to keep yourselves ah! cleared as they crawl up through your hair and down into your clothes. I need a shower. <laughs> like in real life. I got the heebie-jeebies now, y'all. So uh, both of you are nauseated. <sighs> okay. Sudi Kantar. Oh, God. Um. All right. I like I'm that Sudi is freaking out despite the fact that they're not touching <laughs> You'd think as a, as a cat he'd be okay with the bugs, but... um. <laughs> Okay, Sudi, Sudi contemplates maybe my craziest idea in this entire adventure path. We have a bag of holding type three. I think everybody needs to get in it except for Sudi. We have to defeat these things. They're not just gonna go away. Well, then away. Sudi will get a torch and just start whacking at them. Um, yeah, but uh, if, if you attack them, will they then turn on you? Importantly, I'll also point out that they have proven to be resistant to fire. Yes. Oh crud, that's right, which means my alchemist fires and my torches will probably do I got nothing. Alright, well. Shooty! Shave your shelf! Narmer, I'm fine! I'm worried about everyone else! How can I help? Narmer says as they've like pried open like his chest plate, now like Stinger Jr.'s fighting one of them inside of his chest. Wait, wait, uh, wait, wait. I don't know. I'm going to put my bet on Stinger Jr. <laughs> yeah, Stinger Jr. is radioactive. He's just like <laughs> stabbing them every time they come in. So there's just a pile of like dead. What are these called again? 
nasty know. fish, whatever these are that nasty just fish. piling up because they're just getting stabbed by Stinger Jr. <laughs> I like to think that Stinger Jr. is the uh, the origin, the the forebearer of all rad scorpions from Fallout. <laughs> this is how it all starts. You thought it was the nukes, but it was really Narmer. It was Narmer all along. I was um, turkey all along. <laughs> God, yeah, and everything we have in the treasure would be of no use. I finally found this party's weakness. It's this is th- these You've are Sunni's arch nemeses. <laughs> You've been known this new. weakness. Um, okay. I know. You would think that somehow the group would have found. Well, I mean, you guys have found a number of ways to compensate for this over the last however many books. The only thing I could think to do is to grab one of the uh, the fire opals off of that helm of brilliance and blast us. No, you have to be so, wearing the helm. Yeah, yeah, so I guess, so also, I guess I'm just going to do that. Masika be has here. 14 hit points left. You should get in the bag. Wait, these things have been biting the crap out of us. Like, I'm getting down, too. And I was down a little bit from Dust Taker, but yeah. I didn't think it was a down enough to worry about a spell. I wasn't expecting oh, geez. swarms okay, um, that are doing over 10, 10 to 20 damage per round. Okay, here's here's what I'm thinking. Okay, Sudi's going to take a five-foot step back. He's going to open the bag and say, if you feel like you're getting hurt too much, jump in the bag. All right. All right. Sudi opens the bag. I have, I have literally nothing else I can do. Standard action, grapple Masika. Move action, run with Masika. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, if Masika gets paralyzed, it's going to be like grab, shove, and pack. So Sudi steps back, opens I up the, uh, the bag. I hate this. Masika of the Beckoned. You're nauseated. Yeah, which means I can only take a single move action and be next to the bag, but not actually get in it this round. Run, Masika, we have to flee. Norber says he's, he's like holding your hair back so you can throw up. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be cute if it wasn't 100 billion bugs around. Uh, well, you will actually need to roll your fortitude save for starters. Twice, right? Nope, just once. It just increases the DC in duration. <laughs> I roll a nine for a 17. Shit. 17? You've taken three points of dexterity damage. I was going to say, do we want to s- try to split up? Splitting is a good idea. Splitting is probably a wise choice. Yeah. But we still need to be able to do something to these. I mean, I, I can mean, dodge pretty much any of these area effects, so, I mean, don't hold back because of me. But if Citra and I stay here, maybe they won't chase you? Well, it's either that or they'll. if we split, they'll split the swarms, and one swarm will go after one group, one will go after the other, which might be better because then you're only making one set of saves instead of two. I mean, I don't know. Because we also don't know how long the nausea lasts. Yeah, no idea. I mean, there's really, I mean, like I said earlier, there's only... S- we can't really run because of that freaking stone at the end of the yeah. at the end of this, yeah. Well, again, you have thirty feet of movement, so you're you, basically your option right now is: do you want to run past Sudi or do you want to run into the room? I mean, Masika's just gonna stumble down the hallway towards the doors into the room because it's the quickest way out of this freaking swarm. Okay. okay. So she'll stumble twenty-five feet to there. Back to the dark, previously dark room. Yeah, but it's not dark now. Do you want to go into the room? Oh no, I'm not sure what's in there. Uh, looking into the room, it looks like it was previous, except for now all of the jars are shattered across the floor, and there's a thin mist of white smoke coming up from all the fluid all over the floor. I'm gonna basically stay there crawling up to the so base I of the stairs. So I can at least see my allies. Okay. From Masika, we go to Hollis Starkweather. All right. I have a question. I have an answer. I have a spell called Cleanse. It's a personal-only spell. Okay. This spell ends any a bunch of different effects, including... Nauseated. Does it mean I can cast it if I'm nauseated? 
Well, nauseated condition says you are unable to cast spells, so I would say no. Then why does the spell specifically get rid of nauseated? If it's personal, so I could only ever cast it on myself. What What's the casting time? Is it like instantaneous or something? Uh, It's a standard action. No, that doesn't make any sense. It's weird, so I don't know what the deal is with it. But you cannot cast spells while you are nauseated because you cannot take anything but a move action. Okay, then I don't know what the deal is with this spell. Rules minutia. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It might just have been a copy-paste of a bunch of status effects and nauseated was in there. Okay, then in that case, I'm going to run the opposite direction, and that's pretty much going to have to be my turn, because... That's all you can do. That's all I can do. Hollis flees. Citra Nahamra. Oh, I need a fortitude save from Hollis also. Uh, Nine for a 16. You've taken three points of dexterity damage. Oh, boy. So you stumble, fleeing your way down the hallway. Citra Nahamra. I will need a fortitude save. Yep. All right, uh, I rolled a seven for a 19. You have taken four points of dexterity damage. Oh, jeez. Oh, um, Might I suggest some more fireballs? Uh, they the may not be doing full damage, but way. they're at least doing something. I, I have not taken any damage and they will not hit me and I have a good reflex save. Blow me up. All right, then um, Citra is going to, I just don't want Masika to be by herself. I was thinking of running over and just slapping the bag over. <laughs> okay, if you're going to go to Masika, then I'm going to run toward Hollis. I am going to run 25 feet down the hallway next to Hollis. Please do not throw up on me. Bleh. And then I am going to just go ahead and fireball, and she's going to be like, Sorry, Sudi! And, yeah. Sudi <laughs> so, so just duck and, co- like, duck and covers, action rolls. Right, Don't look directly at the explosion. What's your DC? <sighs> Not the best. It's a DC 20. Okay, I got a 20. I got a roll to 12 for a 25, so I'm good. Okay. So an orange bead streaks across the distance. This helmet's getting some serious uh, uh Yeah, serious <laughs> this helmet's the MVP of this right now. Although I think that was, is that the last fire opal you had? I have one more fireball I could do, and I have two walls of fire. <laughs> walls of fire are also maybe helpful. I don't know if walls of fire would stop their movement. I don't know. I don't know, because fire does not seem to be affecting them as much, but it's the only big area thing that I have is the fireball, so um, that yep. is uh, 33 points of damage. The beach streaks across the distance. There is a deafening explosion. As half of the remaining swarm goes down, the other continues to barrel its way forward. Dang oh it. Gosh, okay, at least there's only one. Yeah. Which brings us to their turn. They all swarm Sudi. They're not going to uh, mess Masika with you. and Hulse's nausea ends. Oh, that's oh, okay. good. They swarm past and around Sudi and make Dang their it. way down the hallway towards Hollis and Citra. Ah. Uh. Chomping a hold. Yep. Dealing eight points of damage, I will also need a fortitude save. All right. First one is a 19 for a 26. All right, I didn't do too bad on that one. I rolled a 15 for a 27. All right, and then I will need a second set of fortitude saves. Second one is an 18 for a 25. Hmm. The second one is a 10 for a 22. You seem to be all right. Sudi Kantar. Sudi looks around helplessly. (laughs) Um, All right, Sudi's going to go over next to Masika. Um, I guess he'll just be, like, in the hall next to her, like... So that if you decide to, like, do a spell or something, I'm not in the way. 
Okay. So Sudi rushes down the hall to Masika. You know, Narmer's just like a flipper slapping on Masika's back. It's okay, get it all out. Uh, is there anything else in this room? Not that you see. Okay. You can enter the room to investigate it if you so wish. No, thank you. Okay. I'm just going to stay here at the end of this hall. Right. Basically ready to put Masika in the bag. From Sudi we go to Masika of the Beckon. I cast heal on myself. <laughs> yep, this makes sense. That seems appropriate. <laughs> uh, you'll need to make a fortitude save first. Oh, That's better. 17 for 25. A 25 succeeds. He gets rid of all of her stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. So all my ability damage is gone. I'm no longer poisoned, and I am back at full health. Woo! Woo! Now y'all need to get down here so we can throw another fireball. <laughs> so you chant and tone. Basically, press the reset button. Restore all of your ability damage, hit points, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You just feel everything wash free. Well, that looks all better. Sure, all better. Man, it really shocked to be the other guys. We're coming. From Masika, we go to. Unless you wish to move. Now nah, she'll stay where she is. Hollis Starkweather. All right, I'll Hollis. I need a fortitude is... save. Okay, Hollis is gonna make a fortitude save. Ouch. Um, six plus seven is a number. Thirteen. Thirteen. Unlucky thirteen. I'm just going to... Oh, there it is. There's a number other than three and four on this dice. That's one point of dexterity damage. Oh, good. Okay. Hollis will then woozily move further down this hallway and get ready to cast a fireball because that's all she has. Very well. You stumble back, knees shaking. All right, Citra, move. Bringing us to Citra Nahumra. I will need you to make a fortitude save. I roll another 10 for 22. I believe you saved last time also, correct? Yes. Farewell. You think the poison has made its course through you. Oh. As okay. you have now made two consecutive saves. Yay! Hey! Uh, Citra would like to move the 10 feet back to join Hollis and... All the way back now at the uh, at the door. Yeah. Uh, yeah all the way the back to the door. Room. <laughs> and then... You guys are basically on either side of this hallway now, separated by like 60 feet of hallway between you. As Citra stumbles free, Hollis, you're ready to action, goes off. Kaboom! An orange bead shrieks across the distance, detonates, shaking the surrounding walls. All right. Uh, 34 damage. Incinerating the last of this swarm. Woo-wee! Yeah, for real. As the hallway falls silent, the swarm steadily dissolving into this white fluid. Hollis will then cast Cleanse on herself um, when it's her turn next, which also gets rid of my poison and whatnot. And... Uh, does a bunch of other stuff. Does not get... Oh, yeah, and also gets rid of ability damage, so... Okay. Uh, well, first off, go ahead and make me another fortitude save. I have a pretty good dex. Uh, anyway, I roll an 18. Yeah, five more points of dexterity damage. Ow. Yeah, still can move, though, so I'm gonna go ahead and cleanse myself. All right, that removes all ability damage. Ability damage, poison, sickened, and heals me for 48 plus one per caster level. Very well. The hallway goes quiet. Everybody okay? Define okay. Everybody's still able to speak. Yeah? Yes. Then everybody's okay. We can fix everything else, right? Right, Masika? We can we can fix these, right? Yeah, but that was you pretty know. bad. I like that Sudi's like, that was pretty bad, despite the fact that they just swarmed around. <laughs> how much how many dexterity points are you down, Rach? Seven. Alright, I'll hit you with a restoration. <laughs> <laughs> but there's got to be something that triggered that darkness in there. It could have been a rune or something that I missed. Maybe. I don't know. 
not all traps necessarily have to be something that, you know, you can see. It could have been a contingency spell. It could have been anything. <sighs> Either way, I think uh, extra careful from here on out. Yes, if we don't know what something is, we don't touch it, open it, mess with it. And especially avoid then the jars with necromantic energy. I mean, y'all know that this is a different room than the room I was in, and I we all walked into this room. I didn't touch anything in this room. We just need to err on the side of caution, because uh, unfortunately that uh, really hurt. Uh, in <coughs> I'm at 47 hit points. <laughs> <laughs> I th- I think maybe if you want one of us goes in just to have a quick pass, but I don't know if all of us need to go in. Well, probably the one with trap spotter should go in. Yeah. We should shin in our ghostbuster. That'd be cool. Sure, yeah, sure. I was like, yeah. you and or me, because they seem to not be, like, they didn't affect me, so I'm wondering oh, if, you, like, yeah. I'm kind maybe of leaning towards Sudi because they don't yeah, affect him, so if there true. are any left, <laughs> they'll just leave him alone. True. Okay, so Sudi will walk into the room and, I guess, go towards the chains. I can't detect if any of them are magical or anything, so we'll see what happens. Very well. You cautiously make your way in. This room reeks in a way that I imagined for Sudi. Mind you, the smell has been somewhat present the entire time that you've been out down here. But once you get down here in a way that I suppose for Sudi reminds him of any time that he'd been down in the docks in Wati and had smelled, had walked by and smelled a smithy. It smells like metal and water, like the quenching of a sword, this sharp metallic smell, not coppery but still there. And underneath that is an odd, faint citrus smell. Making your way down, most of the fluid has already begun to dry on the surrounding floors and form this white crust over the stone that grinds into powder as you make your way down and through it. Broken ceramic covers the surrounding floors. And strangely, you can see that there's a mural set behind the chains. As you approach closer towards it, it's again a mural, it's a bas-relief, it's not hieroglyphs in the traditional sense. But it seems to resemble, judging by the lack of ornamentation, you're going to guess either slaves or maybe workers of a lower class, not the sages that you'd seen in the previous rooms. Chained up as other individuals of a higher class surround them, reaching with what honestly looks somewhat like blacksmith tongs into their mouth, Ugh. removing Ugh. these creatures from Re- inside of their mouths. Removing? Oh, It looks like oh. removing. They were like harvesting. They gestate within the slaves and then the other people like eat them voluntarily. Well, no, because that's not, they turn the slaves into zombies and stuff is how is what we thought happened with them. In the other room, they get fed them. And then in this room, and something happens when they're eaten. And in this room, they get pulled out and get turned into whatever attacked us. But the people that were eating them were sages. These are slaves. Yeah, so what's the... Unless that's the only way to, like, make them. But I still think they're different. You may, if you so wish, make a linguistics check, Sudi. I will try to make a linguistics check, and I emphasize try because I've only got a five. We believe in you. I roll a 16 for a 21. It's decent. There's an odd an odd quality to these hieroglyphs, to the symbols, to the other individuals that you can see along the sides. Because again, there's one large, well, there's one central figure. Uh, keep in mind that once again, these hieroglyphs use the um, size of the, the proper term for it. Yeah. Of the person. Yeah. 
Yeah, so the, the larger individuals are more important than the smaller individual that's chained. But you see other smaller individuals that seem to be walking away. You almost get the impression that the one chained is defiant. And the ones walking away, perhaps the ones that have gone through this process, are complacent. How you don't understand, none of this makes sense, but that's just what you can interpret looking this over. Well, this, yeah, I was gonna say that this would be like inverted from how I'd imagine if they were like, you know, using the weird hell wasp silverfish things to turn them into like complacent zombies or something. So, this is we weird. We don't know it makes exactly no what they do because they're not specifically hell wasps, they're just like hell wasps. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know if they turn them into zombies. It, Rick mentioned a dominate effect. It could have something to do with that, that they're complacent because they've been dominated by whatever this thing does. But why would they be pulling them out? It's weird. It is a mystery. Hmm. That's super weird. Presumably in putting them in a jar and keeping some in this room and some in the other room. I think the ingesting process does something to the creatures. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe it's different if it's willing versus unwilling. Because we had that thing with the... Uh, uh, Hepshepsu things where they had to be a willing uh, person to be converted. Hmm. So maybe it's like a will versus unwilling. I mean, I don't know. It's I'm just possible. theorizing. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, this is weird. Um, I guess Sudi will relay all of this hmm. as best he can um, with his, you know, limited understanding of all of this and just uh, finish with. And so it doesn't make any sense to me. So I'm hoping maybe something, maybe it makes sense to you guys. Is I mean, there any kind of check we can make, Rick? Uh, I mean, again, you can make your way in, approach that, and make a linguistics check as well. Well, since nothing happened to Sudi, I guess I'll go try to figure this out. We're going to go linguistics it Yeah, up. we'll go linguistics it. Okay. I roll a 19 for a 30. Dang. And it's intelligence-based. I roll an 18 for a 25. I nice. rolled a 1 for an 8. <laughs> awesome. No, all, all you can really determine is that, you know, Sudi's interpretation seems to have been correct. I mean, maybe the only thing that might be more more telling is, again, that it seems to be, you know, previously they were devouring them willingly, but in this case, they're extracting them unwillingly. Yeah, weird. I mean, maybe this was how they're made, and the other one is, you know, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that rich people took stuff from poor people. Why you'd want to take a bug from a poor person, and how a bug would come out of a poor person is a different question. Hmm. Uh, well, okay, here's a weird theory because I mean we're in weird magic territory what if they're pulling out their will like their will to resist their will to fight oh. it comes out as some kind of bug well, and they were fasties. and then they're complacent and if the sages are consuming that will maybe it makes them better in some way or it has them control the will that was pulled out by the bug oh that's interesting Oh, that's, a, that's an interesting idea. I mean, it doesn't really explain why they have so many of them kind of preserved, but, I yeah. mean, well, they also have so many of them. There's another, well, there was a lot of slaves building this place, I imagine, but uh, there's some more doors. Let's hope there's not more of these dang jars in there. Citra will carefully check the door. Yeah, I guess we go back into the hallway, everyone. Assume Looks battle clear. positions. Citra shall open the door. The door opens up to reveal a passage exactly 10 feet wide, exactly 10 feet high, continuing to make its way ahead. It continues for a distance of, you think, some 40 feet or so, until you see that it exits out into a larger open room. Do you wish to make your way forward? There aren't any there jars, are there? Not that you can see. Great. 
making your way forward, you step down, sit your eyeing the uh, the archway suspiciously, but not seeing any signs of traps. Hmm. And step into a large open chamber. Again, the hallway slopes slightly, the entire distance down. Citra, Masika, as you step forward, the hallway levels once it enters this chamber. You believe at exactly a depth of 100 feet. The chamber is large, stretching from one side to the other. You think the better part of maybe some 60 or 70 feet. And from the entry to the far side of the room, the better part of some 45 or 50 feet. Bas reliefs adorn the walls of this immense dark chamber, depicting what appear to be small children and elderly folk. Oh. Fleeing from some sort of giant hulking beasts. The far wall of the chamber, however, is obscured in shadow and darkness. But as you step in, your light plays across the surrounding walls. You can see that instead of being a mural, it's an immense map of the slave trenches. Of curious interest, probably to all of you, there are four alcoves, two off towards your left, two off towards your right. Each one of these contains standing sarcophagi. Each one of these, however, the sarcophagus itself, is maybe some almost seven feet across and 14 feet high. Hmm. Hmm. Easily three times the size of most sarcophagus that you've seen. Anyone that wishes to may make a knowledge history. (laughs) I roll a nat one for a 19. (laughs) I roll a 16 for a 24. Nice. Hollis, you glance over the walls. Probably find that somewhat curious. Everyone but Hollis does know what these stories are, as all of you are native children of Osirian. Oh. The pictographs on the walls portray an ancient Osirian fable known as the Taunaka. Basically, it is a monster that is believed to prey on the children and the elderly. It's kind of a boogeyman story that if you wander out into the desert, the Kaunaka will get you. If you don't do your chores, the Kaunaka will get you. Hmm. In more of Masika's people's terms, if you don't contribute, if you don't help the rest of your people, the Kalnika will get you. It grabs the lazy and the weak. Sudi, you are aware that while that is the modern interpretation of the story, the older interpretation of the story was primarily that the Kalnika were said to f- be particularly fond of feasting upon slaves who disobeyed their order, or their orders or their masters, or that were quote-unquote too lazy and would come and feed upon them. Thanks, Tefu Library Reading. So are these like the slave drivers? Looking over these, anyone that wishes to may roll a Knowledge Arcana. Um, okay, I get a 15 for a 39. I mean, I did roll, but I didn't roll anywhere near that. <laughs> With a 39, there is something curious about these creatures that you see depicted on the walls. Again, you don't know the mythology behind this. Mm-hmm. You didn't grow up in Osirian listening to fairy tales about, you know, these monsters that would tear you limb from limb if you disobeyed your parents or didn't do the dishes. Mm. Instead, you do find the design on these murals to be interesting. The creatures are depicted as large, much larger than the the surrounding figures that are fleeing from them. Although, again, these are depictions of children and the elderly, so the largeness might be its importance as opposed to Mm. its actual size. It's, however, depicted as almost ape-like, as if it walks on its front knuckles. And it has... From what you can see, three eyes along its profile. Six eyes total, maybe? You think these are depictions of gray renders. Oh, interesting. 
Weird. Wait. Uh, you are aware that the gray renders are uh, solitary savage predators uh, gifted with immense strength. They actively avoid forming groups or communities with their own kinds and perhaps only tolerate the presence of other renders when it's time to mate. Despite their solitary existence, the gray render often develops an affectionate bond with other creatures, typically a herd of herbivores or a small tribe of humanoids, but in some cases, solitary denizens of its swamp and then act as a guardian for this creature or creatures, never straying more than a mile, and running to protect them if they are attacked and providing an offering of meat once each day as my, a domesticated cat. Are these sarcophagi gray render sized? Yeah, you know that most gray renders stand between nine and 11 feet tall and weigh usually in excess of 4,000 pounds. This All would right. be approximately the same size. Wow. Those look like gray renders, which are, uh, I'll explain all the things. If pertinent, the mural also depicts four figures. And there's four of them, and there's four alcoves, and the alcoves are big enough for those big sarcophagi that are gray render size. So I bet there's gray renders in those. So there's four Talnicas buried deep in oh, here? Oh, that what y'all call them? They're a fable around here. Oh. One of those, you know, if you don't do your chores or you disobey your parents, the Talnica will get you. Oh. The depiction is uh, similar to this. Well... That's interesting. I mean, what I know about these creatures is that they have been known to kind of attach themselves to groups of weaker creatures like humans and whatnot. And they kind of are like a domesticated cat, except real big, obviously. Um, and they like protect the group of people and whatnot. But uh, so maybe there was some, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time Hakatep used weird creatures. Maybe he used them as like slave guards or something. Well, the, um, the stories of the Talnica do say, I mean, in the history books, not necessarily the modern fables, that the Talnica were um, punishers of disobedient slaves. Oh, well. Maybe that part of the story is because of these? Maybe they were supposed to guard the trench, not necessarily the slaves, so slaves that got out of line. Maybe. All right, is the map on the far wall magical? The far wall radiates overwhelming magic. Ah, All right. I'm just going to cast vision on the wall. I guess Sudi will go to one of the closest one, the uh, sarcophagi, and see if there's any kind of writing or identification or anything for them. Yeah, I'm going to go with you. Very well. Citra? Citra is not going to cast any magic upon the map, but uh, Citra would like to go examine the map and like see where everything is. Okay. And possibly uh, maybe scribble down a copy of it in her notebook. So you get to, you get to do a side-by-side -side and see how accurate your was or check yours against it but this is like a perfect recreation so it might have some parts we missed or misrepresented or that aren't there anymore oh i didn't think about that so sudi you watch masika making her way up towards the the mural you turn begin stepping approaching towards the sarcophagus go ahead and have sudi make me a wisdom check oh, no. um i don't like having to make a random wisdom check Hey, I got a perfect 20 for a 25. Look at me go. You're wise AF today. Sudi, you turn. Begin to approach towards the sarcophagus. You feel like almost like you can feel through your toe beans into the earth. Feel through the earth into the earthen sarcophagus and then feel inside of it. Nothing at first. Oh, oh no. Oh no. However, oddly, as Hollis begins to move to follow you, you feel a stirring, as if it shifts. So he like halts. If you halt, I halt. Yep. There's something moving inside of there. Uh, okay. Well, they could be guarding this chamber. 
They may not but be at rest. It didn't start to move until Hollis got close. It wasn't until Hollis started moving towards them. Hollis steps back. The thing inside of it seems to quiet. You're wearing the mask. Hmm. They must be keyed to anyone who is not wearing the mask. But why does it care about approaching it? You feel the beginning to stir once again. Basically, as Citra begins to cross the room, approaching towards Masika as she crosses to the far side of the chamber. Oh, because I've got just a sex. All right, Citra, as you're moving, it feels like this is moving as well. So hold on a second. Stop moving. Sudi has the mask, and I'm related to Chisasek. Citra will uh, back up toward the door and join Hollis. All right, we'll hang out over here. They seem to fall silent. All right, they're not moving anymore. That's weird. Sudi will approach uh, one of them. Once again, thankful for Tremor Sense. Yay! Approaching it, it's completely still. Uh, does it? Ha are there any kind of writings on them? Maybe a name or a... You can make a perception roll if you so wish. Sure. I'll, uh, I'll take 10 for a 34. Not a name or date. However, the sarcophagus is built into the ground. It was carved into this structure, not added. Oh. And the lid is actually set upon a hinge. <laughs> it does not appear to be sealed or locked. You may open it if you wish. I do not want to do that. No, thank you. <laughs> so, Sudi, like, sees the hinge on it and just kind of starts backing away going, All right, so... Uh, these are on hinges, and I think whatever's inside of here is undead. Probably undead Grey Reavers. I don't think we want to mess with them. Sure. So let's finish what we're going to do and make our way out. Well, you should search for, like, secret doors and such, because Citra and I are stuck here. I will do that. I guess Sudi will go start searching for some secret doors while Masika's vision plays. All right. Are you wishing to take 10? Yeah, I'll take 10 for a 34. Okay. You begin to search. Masika, you cast your vision spell. You focus on this. All right, I roll an 11, which gets me 25 for the DC on the vision spell. You close your eyes, focus. Feel this power run through you. You pose your question. Yeah, I want to know how this works. Because it's obviously where we have to focus the monuments. I just need to know how it works. You focus on it. Pull out your incense, burn some incense sticks. Pull out your ivory. Kind of spin those around like those... uh. Meditation things. Like little worry, worry, worry stones or Meditation whatever. Balls. Meditation balls. You feel the visions, the memories flood into your mind. Initially, like a, a swarm of different visions before one sticks out. For a moment, as you kind of you turn back, you look across the distance, you don't see, you know, you see your compatriots, but almost superimposed, you see these ghost visions of a procession of Nethian priests led by an elderly priest make their way in. You turn back and you realize that this does not function now. These should be glowing. They aren't, of course, because you haven't activated the trench. There should be the glowing points of light. You look to where you can see tiny indentions on the maps. Eleven points that would be glowing with blue light were the map activated, corresponding to the eleven sacrifiers, the monuments that you've seen up until this point. You see the priest stepping forward and anointing these points with holy or unholy water, depending upon the alignment of the priest, because Nethys. <laughs> and as it does so, each one of those points burst into flame. They do this at each individual point in a very specific order. Which luckily we got from Chisisek, so I don't have to memorize that real quick. It's true. As you look this over, you can feel this, this tingle, this energy that seems to run through this place. And for a moment, it's almost as if you can see outside. You can see the trenches themselves. You can see, not figurative, but literal 
arcs of lightning streaming between the various sacrifiers to form a giant rune emblazoned on the sky overhead, channeling the power of the trenches to a single point, a massive golden disc. All right, well, this one's surprisingly sim- simple. Once the lantern vault's activated, we just have to anoint the proper po- the points in the right order, and it'll activate the sun disc. All right. Good to know. Something simple for once. So is there anything we actually need to do in this room? No, I mean, I would just leave our uh, our sleeping friends alone. There, there doesn't seem to be any reason to wake them up. Nope. So we need to go to the guardian vault where all, well, the crazy poisoner lady and all of his generals are buried to get the Pharaoh's key, which we need to activate the sun disk. Awesome. Sudi. Uh-oh. There's a secret compartment built into this wall. Hey. As Uh-oh. you begin to circle around the far side of the room. Oh, there's there's a secret compartment right here. Masika will walk over towards Sudi. Sudi will, I guess, uh, pry it open. Hopefully it's not full of bugs. Or trapped. Oh, or trapped. Opening this inside the gaping mouth of a particularly frightening looking uh, Kalnaka. Hmm. A compartment that contains the following. A silver and jasper ankle bracelet. This seems to be exceptionally well done. Uh, Masika, you can tell that this is actually more of a piece of jewelry that would have been worn by the desert tribes and not by the Osiriani people of the Sphinx River Valley. Hmm. It is worth uh, 250 gold pieces. Okay. More interesting than that is inset into this anklet are three gemstones. Uh, Masika, what do you get taking 10 on a spellcraft? Uh, to identify magic items, a 32. Okay. All three of these are elemental gems. Aha! Whoa! There is one of air, one of earth, and one of fire. Cool. I have a feeling that might have belonged to Chisisek. You also find a plus two earth outsider bane, Kopesh. Oh, wow. That's oddly <laughs> specific. Uh, the hilt of the weapon is uh, engraved with the ancient Osiriani word duha, which means vortex in the ancient language. Is this in case you want to come fight Beck and Topher on your way out? Maybe. It seems a weird thing to stash in here, but okay. There's a lot of elementals here, you know. There is a foot-high Malachite statuette of the jackal-headed Anubis. <laughs> it is worth 750 gold pieces. Sudi, go ahead and make me a perception roll. Uh-oh. I get a 14 for a 38. There's a soft rattling sound as you pull it out. Almost imperceptible. You kind of, you take it, you sort of turn it over in your hands and you notice that there's a seam on the bottom. Like there's a tiny little door built into the base of this statuette. Buried at the base of Anubis. Not good. I was going to say, I'm not going to open that. I'm going to let Citra take a look at that, but I'm definitely (laughs) going to keep that out. For inspection later. In addition to this, there is a wand. Oh, wand. Come on, wand of dimension door. (laughs) (laughs) That would actually be pretty funny if there's one in there. The wand in question is extraordinarily well designed and bears the actual symbol, the hieroglyphic symbol for the name Hakatep. Oh, wow. Whoa! Wow. That being said, surprisingly, it is not an arcane wand. Hmm. Masika, you can determine that this is a wand to bless water. Oh, to make holy water. Oh, nice. Strangely, there's a unique element to this wand where the wand constantly secretes a small amount of water once held. The water in question is holy water, but not enough to actually damage anything. But enough to to touch the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if fully drained of charges, 
it will retain its conjuration and continue to create this small stream of holy water. Huh. That's handy. Wow. Yeah. Poking yep. device. Yep. That's the poking device. That's it. Cool. Um, so Sudi will uh, take the um, the statue back over to uh, the entrance. So we found a wand that just makes water, hmm. holy water. Very cool for activating this stuff. There's a kopesh in here that's um, earth outside their bane. Hmm. Okay. Um, hmm. We found some elemental gems on a bracelet. And um, that's an anklet. Wait, is it an anklet or bracelet? It could be either, honestly. It is specifically an ankle bracelet. So an ah, okay. Although you could wear it on your hand and no one would Although be I would wear it on my hand for easy grabbing of those gems, man. Anyway, and then the statue, but there's something rattling around inside. There's a little seam on the bottom, but I thought maybe you should look at it, Citra. Citra Just in case. Take the statuette and give it a once over and make sure it's not going to blow up in her face. Check for magic runes. Looks clear. Citra will slide it open. Cracking this open? You open this, turn it, shake it a little bit as whatever's inside seems to be kind of stuck in there. Do that thing with like a ketchup bottle where you hit it on your palm a couple of times. <laughs> Something cold and circular falls into your palm. And as you lift the statuette away, you see a gold and jade scarab beetle. Hmm. Detecting magic, looking it over whoever's over there and can take 10 on spellcraft. It's a golden bane scarab. Oh, cool. Candy. Is it prettier than mine? <laughs> I think yours is non-slotted, but... I was going to say mine is slotless, too. <laughs> Mine's also slotless. One of y'all want a gold made scarab? <laughs> I need my amulet. I already have two necklaces I switched between, so... Just as a fallback. Into the treasure yeah. it goes. Plus, if it's a golem, I'm not going to hit it with a sword or anything, so... I mean, that's a good point. <laughs> Don't you have your scimitar that you use as a spell component for some spell? Yeah, I never actually cast that spell. It never came in, into use, but... I do have a scimitar. It's not magical. <sighs> All right, so next up... Guardian vault. I'm sure it'll be fun and full of undead. It seems that way, so the next step is to get out of here. We just teleport. Sudi looks glancing over at Hollis. I'm assuming we want to just teleport. find another way out, so. <laughs> I mean, otherwise, you, uh, Citra would need to earth glide through the rock, run back up all the way up, and then hit the button. I'm going to try to teleport us back to where the chariot is, which is next to the statue um, at the entrance or whatever. Wherever, like... I forget exactly where this is on the map, but... So it, on the other side of the, the waterfall of sand. Yeah, no, I don't want to have to deal with that again. You want to teleport out and try to arrive near the obelisk of Tall? Yes. Okay. Seems fairly unique. Masika would have cast Lesser Restoration on herself before we leave just to get rid of the fatigue condition from the... Did heal not get rid of the vision spell. From the vision spell. Oh, okay. The vision spell causes fatigue, yeah. All right. All right, I rolled a 94, and I don't remember if I like high or low in this. Yeah, I think you like low, if I remember right. Oof, well, this might be a weird yeah. thing that occurs. Yeah, it's going to get awkward. You, chant and toe, gesture. The world disappears from around you, and then rematerializes instantaneously. Although, again, something has gone wrong. Yep. You stand in the shadow of an obelisk, although looking <laughs> around... You don't see your chariot, although that's almost not surprising as during your time underground, it seems as if the sky has darkened and oh, turned boy. this burnt shade of orange and this blowing sand rolls across you as you stand somewhere. Hmm. I'll pick it up here next time. Oh, oh great. Hollis. 
<laughs> what have you done to us, Hollis? Hey, given how often we cast this spell, I'm surprised. I mean, yeah, we, do, we do roll the dice a fair amount. But at least we're out of there. Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Mummy's Mask is copyright 2014. Mummy's Mask and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission.